This episode is brought to you in part by Dr. Tony Evans, author of Kingdom Kindness. Learn how to become a countercultural force by reflecting God's kindness. Find this and other uplifting resources on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm the Assistant Director at the Hendrick Center here at DTS. And today, we are going to be discussing a Christian approach to emotions. I am joined by the wonderful and I was going to say dashing, but am I allowed I to say you. dashing? <laughs> I, I do. So I think dashing. you're wonderful. I'll dash. <laughs> <And> dashing <laughs> Melissa Pipkin, who's the um, Associate of Communications at the Hendrick Center with me, and we Yay. just absolutely adore her. Melissa has a storied past with broadcast journalism, and you've served as a co-host on several of the podcasts, so it's lovely to have you back. Glad to be back, Kim. And we're also joined, we're thrilled to be joined by Alistair Groves, who is the Executive Director of CCEF, which is the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. And Alistair, we're just thrilled to have you here with us today, too. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to this. Wonderful. And we're really, really excited to have you because you know a lot more about emotions than we do. <laughs> we feel we'll them, see. but we don't, yeah. we'll we're not the experts. <laughs> so we're thrilled to have you walking us through. And you've done a lot of thought in this area. I've heard you speak and I've read some of your work. And I, I know that you have thought deeply in this area. So how did you end up digging into all of this and saying, you know what, I think I'm really going to think through emotions. How did you land there? Hmm. Well, I, um, I'm tempted to give you the long story that starts with, <laughs> well, I was born into a family where, um, but uh, the short, the short version is um, I did, I did grow up in a home where there was a lot of value placed on thinking about what, what somebody else would be thinking or feeling. Hmm. And there was a lot of value placed on politeness and consideration uh, and that had its faults at times when you weren't supposed to say what you wanted. You had to figure out what the other person wanted and say what they wanted is what you wanted. <laughs> so it could get complicated and unhelpful at times. But um, yeah, I just I was raised to think about what's somebody else thinking here, and uh, ended up as a as a counselor. I think and partly because of that, um, and in counseling, just began to realize, particularly around the emotion of anger, people struggle and come to counseling a lot because of their emotions and their struggles with their emotions or the emotions of people around them or the emotions I feel about your emotions that I can't control or whatever. Mm -hmm. And and in particular, started to realize that anger, it, it felt like our culture didn't have a good beat on what was actually happening with anger. And the idea was you have to express anger in order to get rid of it. But then it seems like the more you express it, actually, the more you reinforce it. Mm-hmm. So it just got me thinking about it. And so I, I wrote a little paper that never got published anywhere. And I wisely, uh, through the love of some friends, was able to throw it away. But <laughs> one of my colleagues uh, knew that I'd written this and said, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this, too. We should we should think about a book project. And so from there, spent about four years writing a book together. And that that really made us think more holistically about emotions in general. Um so, been thinking about it forever, but that's that's the more the more focused project. So, I'm curious what what were your conclusions about anger that were never aired? <laughs> <laughs> we're going straight in there for the good stuff. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now you're you're making me feel frustrated. No, um, I uh, 
I, the 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 actual conclusions have come out in the book. Mm-hmm. So it, it was more that the actual the the initial attempt to articulate it was pretty ugly. The conclusion would run something like this. Our culture talks about blowing off steam, getting it off your chest, airing your grievances. It's all the same. It's like everyone's like a tea kettle with emotions inside, especially anger. And the idea is let out the steam and things will kind of settle back and take the pressure off and you'll be okay. And I began to realize what I was seeing in counseling was much more like your emotions are like muscles. And the more you exercise them, the stronger they get. And so you might go to the gym and do a hard workout and come out feeling spent and kind of de-escalated and down like, oh, okay, it felt good to just talk about that. But everything that was going on inside you that was making you angry, the next time the thing comes up, now you're just actually all the more amped up about it. So the the conclusion about anger is really a conclusion more broadly about emotions, which is the things we love and care about and value and treasure drive what we feel. So we feel things because we love things. And actually, if you're not able to deal with what you love and what's good and bad going on there at the worship level, you're not going to get uh, a healthy set of emotions. I love that because mm-hmm. typically you do become more angry at the people you love the most. And so that's a good explanation of why we're doing that. Absolutely. That cycle, you ca- huh? you yeah. care about them. And that's why you're right. The the more uh, the, the closer an injustice is to you, the more you get angry. Good stuff. And I also love that you said you were kind of reared that way. So you're kind of wired to love other people well. And that's very biblical because we're supposed to love one another, you know, and, you know, love God, love one another. And that's what you were raised with. So it's how fitting that you would come and do this kind of work as a counselor and then write a book like this. (laughs) It's such a gift. I had just the most wonderful parents you could ever want. And both of them in different ways just gave me such a picture of, yeah, we're here to love each other. And that's that's at the center of what we're called to do. So, yeah, I, I can't take any credit for being pointed in the right direction regularly and for years. So I have to ask, going back to what you said about worship and worship being linked with emotion to a degree and, and how you're presenting it. What does that have to do or how do you address that? We'll get into for a Christian. You know, we, we talked about the, the title of the podcast is A Christian Approach to Emotions. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll get to that distinctive in a second. But for the unbeliever, for someone who doesn't um, have that, how do you work that out? How do you present that to That's them? Good. Is it just a value or or how do you present that? Yeah, sure. It's a great question. So um, let me start by saying emotions work in exactly the same way, fundamentally, for Christians and non-Christians. Of course, what, yeah. <laughs> what you believe is People. irrelevant, um, and it, it really is a matter of love, value, treasure, care about. When I use the word worship, I'm, I'm using it in the Bob Dylan sense. Uh, okay. Everybody worships something, mm-hmm. and you, you, you've got to worship. You can't help but worship. When you stand and look at your favorite piece of art or you hear your favorite piece of music or you see a beautiful sunset or you're really into this guy or girl or you have a successful project at work your immediate instinct and c.s lewis says this brilliantly in in one of his pieces i can't remember which is is to praise it is to Mm -hmm. speak of it's good you want to show somebody else and say isn't this good isn't this cool isn't this exciting you want to share the joy you want to praise and speak the glories of what it is that you have seen and cared about and felt. So that that instinct, that that worship is the orientation of your being, your soul, your heart, your life, your your care and concern towards some object that you think is is worthy, is worthwhile. Uh, as Christians, we believe that the 
only true object appropriately of worship is God, uh, but we also believe that every good thing in the world is intended to lead to worship of him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you see a great painting, you say, oh, wow, they did such a great job making that. When someone gives you an amazing gift, you say, oh, thank you so much. So, so worship is a way of saying thank you. It's a way of saying this is amazing. Uh, it's a way of saying I care about this and this is well done. So Kim and I were talking yesterday when we were just kind of briefing and going over what we wanted to make sure we covered with you, because there's so many different areas that we can go into when we talk about emotions. And I love I'm glad we have three hours. Like yeah. <laughs> Hang with us, those uh, of you who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> so I love something that Kim came up with. She said, you know, in this conversation, we, we're going to be looking at the spectrum of from one side where it's like super, super good to have these emotions and then the other side where it's really not good. And so I guess that's where we land now in and how do you see that? What's What do we consider good emotions and how do we consider it bad? And I guess that would have to be based on what the say of the Lord, or the Bible itself, the word of God. Well, just to clarify, I think I was I was trying to say that, like, I, I was trying to think of a spectrum on what it would be, what it would look like to handle emotion in an um in an improper way. And like on on one side of the spectrum would be emotions are bad and they're always bad and we should never engage them. And then the other side of the spectrum, which is just as unhealthy would be emotions are wonderful and good. And we should always just be, you know, beholden to their whims. Um, and then, you know, presumably we should be somewhere in, in the, the middle. middle, but that was something we came up with. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've got a couple thoughts. And, I figured and, you and, might. <laughs> and, and the two of you together, you're really putting a number of issues on the table. So I'll, I'll try to be as brief as I can, then you can follow up in whatever pieces are most interesting to you to take further. So my first, the first thing I would say is to say, um, I, I, I think you're absolutely right to identify there's two ends of the spectrum. And uh, one is a sort of smush down emotions mm -hmm. uh, side. The other is a sort of, you know, glorify and, and even maybe worship at the altar of emotions side. But even there, there's some complexity. So um, I would say in, in, Typically, what I find is in a more conservative, uh, certainly more Christian uh, setting, you're going to get more of the emotions are dangerous, mm -hmm. bad. We don't want to be led by them. We need to be in control of our emotions. We need to smush the bad emotions. And often there's sort of a good list, bad list of emotions, right? So you're supposed to feel peace, contentment, joy, etc. You're not supposed to feel sorrow, anger, fear, discouragement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that has to do with, well, if you believe that God is good and he's in control, then of course you know, why would you ever feel discouraged if he's in control and he's bringing good things? Which, I mean, there's a pretty strong case to be made there, right? So let me respond to that side first, and then I'll speak to the other side in a moment. Um, I what what I would fundamentally say is the 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 main issue with that a list, good list, bad list, B list of emotions, um, and so you want to squash all the bad ones and live only with the good ones. Is it 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 just doesn't line up with scripture? That's actually not what you see mm -hmm. Scripture doing. Uh, you have to throw out enormous amounts of the book of Psalms. You have to throw out the whole book of Lamentations. You have to throw out Job. You have to throw out many different prayers and chunks throughout the Old Testament. Moses, David, you've got to get rid of significant chunks of Paul. You've got Peter to deal with. And so uh, you've got Jesus himself. At the <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and, and emotions ascribed to God <laughs> in Scripture. Garden of Gethsemane. Yes. Yeah. Right. God is the most angry character in the Bible. He's also the most compassionate character. So, you, so you've just got emotion all over the place in the scriptures, and um, and and the only way I know of to 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 say is to say there are good emotions. You know, get, bear with me on that term. Good emotions are emotions that reflect 
God's emotions. So if God loves something, we should love it. If God hates something, we should hate it. If God says this is right and good and brings joy to my heart, then we want to have it bring joy to our hearts as well. And if God says this is destructive and terrible, and I grieve that it exists, then we should think it's destructive and terrible and grieve that it exists. So so what's actually important about emotions is not squashing bad ones. There's actually a godly way to be angry. There's a godly way to be sad. There's a godly way even to be discouraged and afraid. Paul talks about having anxiety for the churches because he knows what's up against them. Uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight was a revolutionary verse for me about good, healthy, godly anxiety that comes from loving Jesus, mm. loving his church, and recognizing the persecution, temptation, etc. that hits them. So that's that's my attempt to say, if you're on the side that says, oh yeah, there's a bunch of bad emotions you should never feel and you should repent your way out of them as fast as possible, I would say slow down. <laughs> Scripture paints a different picture. Um, I can talk about the other side in a moment, but do you want to follow up on anything there before I move to no, the other? No, that's good. That's, you're right spot on. Yeah, no, I, I, I really like what you have to say there. And I think, I think it would be helpful before we dig in even further for you to talk to the other side, you know, the, okay. those who would revel in emotion right. unhindered. <laughs> yeah. So, so the complexity on that side is that it, well, it's a, and so I would say in the more churchy world, at least the church world that I swim in, the tendency, the dominant tendency tends to be the side I just talked about. Mm-hmm. In the more secular world that I live in and swim in uh, outside the church, it, it's the opposite. The, the tendency is your emotions are the most important thing about you. How you feel is the most important thing about you. What you feel ought to define you and the world around you. There is no quest more important than feeling good about yourself in particular. Make make of yourself something that you feel good about. That that would be the modern quest or the post postmodern quest if you want to be technical or whatever. Um, but um, so so it's not quite as simple as saying embrace all emotions, right? There's lots of times where this where where a the world we live in would say oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you feel that way. That's terrible. You shouldn't have to feel that way. Hmm. The most important thing in your life is that you stop feeling that way. So do whatever you have to do, change whatever you have to change, uh, push whatever you've got to push in order to feel the way you want to feel. Um, So you you having the feelings you want, that is the central aspect of life. And so uh, the, the good grain of truth in that is what we feel really does tell us something about who we are. Right. I'm saying it, you know, what we love flows into what we feel. So therefore, what we feel tells us something about what we love and what we care about and value. Well, that's really important. So I'm happy for us to accept that emotion and identity are strongly connected. Uh, the problem is it's utterly backwards. And it, it, it sets emotion as the slave driver, the, the God over you mm-hmm. demanding things. And the only satisfying life is a life full constantly of satisfying, authentic feelings and everything else is secondary to that. And it's radically opposed to scripture. It also just doesn't work. Uh, if, if you've ever, if uh, most of us have tried at different times to do that, it breaks down always. It always breaks down. A, you can't live feeling deep satisfaction at all times, uh, especially not with your, if your life is not founded in a God who made you and gave you an identity. But secondly, it just, you know, that, it's just not going to work. You're you're going to always want to feel a certain way, and life circumstances that are bigger than you, out of your control, are not going to allow you 
those feelings. Well, and I'm going to um, speak to my current life circumstance because here comes a cartoon reference, but I have two small t- two children. Um, but it's kind of like what you're saying in, in support of what you're saying, even I guess from the quote unquote secular, though we're not like, yeah, the secular side of, of the world yeah. um, is sort of, I think it's Pete doctor behind it. So um, maybe not, but uh, is inside out, you know, where they, that's kind of the message there is like, you can't always have joy. Like it's like there's sadness and you have to recognize the real situations where sadness is appropriate and is healthy. And, and, and like you're saying, like, it's actually impossible to live a life like that. So I do have a a follow-up question to all, to that whole conversation, which is, so would you, what would your response be to somebody who would say that emotions are neutral? Um, and is that what you're saying or, is, or are you saying, and, or are you saying that they're more like a, like a litmus test for our soul as far as like what we love or can they be, can they be neutral sure. and that? What, it, what do you say about, especially yeah. people who talk about the neutrality of emotions, they can be good or bad. Is that kind of what you're saying as well? Sure. That yeah, that's a great question, Kim. Uh, I I guess I have a I have a principled answer and I have a pragmatic answer to that. The the principled answer is emotions are literally never neutral. They are always either good or bad. They're always either right or wrong. So I actually would speak about right and wrong emotions, but it would always be fundamentally dictated by is your love pointed in the right direction? So to the extent that you are loving the way you ought to be loving, worshiping, valuing, treasuring, caring about the right things in the way that God does, then the emotions that flow out of that are going to be right and good. And whether that's utter, you know, tragic weeping, like Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, uh, or whether that's rejoicing in ecstasy, um, it's good and godly insofar as you are weeping about or rejoicing over what God weeps about or rejoices Mm -hmm. over. So in principle, in principle, pointing the the same direction as God is is the answer, and emotions are always, therefore, morally freighted on some level. My practical answer is 99 times out of 100, if I hear somebody say emotions are neutral, I'm thrilled. And I feel like... Uh, <laughs> because uh, you, of the you, stifling you, stuff? <laughs> well, exactly. It, it, it's, it's not saying... Yeah, you've got... Okay, the, it's usually the problem is someone saying... Um, you know, fear is always bad mm-hmm. and and contentment is always good. I mean, look, look at look at look in Jeremiah when Jeremiah says, here are your leaders preaching to you peace, peace when there is no peace. Right. You're, you're feeling peaceful and the leaders are feeling peaceful. They shouldn't be. They should be ashamed. They should be deeply upset by what's going on here. Uh, I've not done heroin. I'm, I'm happy to say. But I hear that heroin is an incredibly contentment producing experience. Mm. You should not be content if you're doing heroin. You should not be content if you're getting away with having an affair. That's not a good contentment. So there's bad contentment. There's good discouragement. There's good anger. There's good fear. So if someone says, well, actually, emotions are neutral and means essentially there can be good and bad Mm -hmm. in any kind of emotion. I feel like that's a win. (laughs) At 99 times at 100, I'm I'm not going to even push back. And I'm going to say, yeah, absolutely. That's right. Hmm. Um, if, If we're sitting across, you know, a, the- a theology book, or we have six hours, or I'm on a podcast, we're going to put direct questions to me. <laughs> That's my one time out of 100 where I'll pull something else out and say, well, technically, it is, it's actually the opposite of that. Hmm. But functionally, if people can get in the neutral mindset, 
that is going to tend to carry them good places rather than bad places um, unless they really get deep in the weeds. I heard everything you said, and it's good. The thing that comes to mind for me is uh, motivation. Maybe check your motivation, you know, and (laughs) that can help you out a lot when it comes to whether you're, you know, in the middle of that of that thing or whether you're on either side of the pendulum, good or bad. Another another interesting thing, Kim, I don't want to go for it, but I was just thinking, too, um, something that came to mind was um, reading in your book, uh, uh, Untangling Emotions, um, was where these emotions are coming from, the mind or the heart, the the brain or the heart or the body, I think you say. So can you kind of explain (laughs) to that? I mean, how do you know whether it's coming from your mind or whether it's coming from the body? Can you kind of... Let us or your spirit, like because you're talking about you know like your your soul's affections kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I was kidding earlier when I said three hours, but now <laughs> I kind of do want three hours. Can can we do five more episodes? <laughs> uh, sure. You can answer that question in one minute. No, each I'm just emotion for forty five right, minutes. Right. You know, I, I I actually will answer it in a minute, and then you can you can follow up in any way you like. Yeah, this, this there's so much here. So starting my minute now, here, here's my thought, basically. Um, people are made up, biblically speaking, you hear about the soul slash the heart slash whatever, but but the, the, all the spiritual aspect of who you are. I, I would say that all gets one big lump, and the other lump is the body. So you get body and soul, mm-hmm. body and heart. I, I use heart. And so I'd say your emotions always, always, always come from your heart, uh, but your body can break down. And you can feel physically. So your emotions happen, they come from your heart, but you always feel them in your body. Um, You can also have feelings in your body, no connection to your heart, that are the same kind of feeling as what your heart produces on an emotion. So if anxiety is an experience that tends to me the clenching of the stomach and the intensing of the shoulders and breaking out in a sweat and feeling maybe mildly nauseous and your heart rate increasing, et cetera, et cetera, there are all kinds of other things that can cause that. You have thyroid issues, you're going to feel depression completely regardless of if it's your birthday and you just won a million dollars. So there's absolutely a physiological thing that can happen mm-hmm. where it can affect your feelings in ways that you're like, I feel anxious. And that's a totally fair way to talk. What I am talking about at the emotional level is em- emotion itself, I'm saying is best understood as a heart, spirit, soul uh, thing that has meaning to it. Um, that that sometimes the body goes crazy about or doesn't do well with. That was good for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> a minute response. I, I think, think it like was a minute 15. technically uh, a minute and a half. Yeah, I did. I did time. Ah, uh, shoot. shoot. <laughs> no, that's that's interesting. Um, do you have anything to follow up on that? I'm I'm actually like just processing. <laughs> well, and it's a good thing to process when you think about um, you know the spectrum. You know, we're commanded in the Bible to love, to have peace, to you know have all these things. But yet, then there's because we live in a fallen world, and we've got some of the opposite going on here as well. Um, in your book, you talk about a few things that are of particular interest to me, and you know having 
you know, being someone who uh, somewhat deals with anxiety and sometimes depression um, in my world, you know, oftentimes you hear people say, well, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. You hear them say that it's not good. He doesn't want you to be anxious. Jesus cares for you. Don't be, don't have anxiety. But you can't just tell somebody don't have these things, don't have these emotions. And I think you kind of scratch some of that surface here in your books. Can you just help us? I know we've done podcasts on anxiety and fear and things like sure. that, but but because we're here with you, just can you just tell us a little bit about some of the things that you, you know, try to share with people about these emotions, these particular yeah, sure. emotions. Like the difficult ones? Is the that, very difficult yeah. ones of yeah. of anxiety and depression and fear sure. and those same things. Yes. Yeah. I'll, in a moment, I'll zoom in on anxiety just because that's, that's one of the one of the most common, if not the most common emotions that are hard for us that, that are out there. Um, yeah. Let, let me, so let me start by saying uh, the stating the obvious, which is, it is different for every person. It, it is different. And, and, and also if I'm saying what you love leads to what you feel, what you care about leads to what you feel, then there's always going to be something in anxiety that actually tells you something really important about who you are and what you care about. And so I, I think the first thing I always want to say is what whatever the problem may be and whatever the change needed may be, you don't want to lose the opportunity. Your, your anxieties paint the most accurate map of what you care about of anything in your life. Mm. So you may think, oh, yeah, I value this more than that. Your anxieties will will tell a truer test of what, what do I really value? What do I really care about? So li- listening to your emotions, engaging them for even what what is this telling me about what I value is really, really helpful and important, even if the answer is, and I need to do something very different in how I respond to them. So having said that, um, anxiety, your anxiety is saying something I care about is under threat. Something I value could be my physical health and comfort. It could be my child's future. It could be, is our church really going to keep growing or are we going to dwindle? It could be there's conflict I have with a friend. It could be, you know, my mother and I have become more distant. And I don't understand why. It could be, it could be, it could be, right? So there's things we care about. And the more you care, the more anxious you will feel when the threat is present or the stronger the threat, the more anxious you will feel. So, so strength of threat, strength of love, you know, are, are going are to come together. And the kinds of things I would want to say to somebody in anxiety are all the things that scripture emphasizes. The overwhelming emphasis of scripture is you can run with your anxieties to God. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We tend to hear the command, cast your anxieties on God. Uh, Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. And we tend to downplay he cares for you. Hmm. And we downplay the verse that comes right before Philippians 4, 6, which is the Lord is near or the Lord is at hand. Therefore, be anxious for nothing. So even the way we hear the command throughout Scripture, do not fear. It's the most common command in Scripture. Um, it, it's similar. You know, when, when, a, when a five-year-old skins their knee and is running to their mom and, and crying and saying, oh, no, it's never going to get better. And the mommy says, don't cry. She's not giving a, a harsh, cold command. That, that's a word of comfort. Oh, don't cry, baby. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and the Lord speaking the words, don't fear to us. There's really good reason not to fear. Oh, don't fear, my children. Don't fear, for I am with you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. I am at hand. I am near. I care for you. I care about you. I will uphold you. So that, that language of trying to help, where is somebody's fear spinning endlessly in their own mind and amping up and their body's getting more and more worked up and they're trying to control the situation versus where the anxiety is actually becoming highways 
to their father's throne room, uh, well-beaten paths to jump up in their father's lap yet again and say, God, it's scaring the heck out of me again. I don't know what to do. I need help. That's good. I try to think sometimes that this this is what comes to me to help me, and maybe it'll help somebody else listening, as I try to think of myself being like in the boat. Uh, mm. Jesus is in the, mm. in the boat, and he's asleep, and the storm is just going, and they're so worried. And I just want to be that person who's asleep on the pillow through the storm, you know? <laughs> yep. And, the, you know, I yep. know we're human and things like that, but it, it just brings a little solace and a little peace for me sometimes in some of those angst moments. Amen. So, yeah. So if anxiety is um, the feel, like I think it might be helpful just to demonstrate kind of what what you're saying with regard to the different emotions. So if anxiety yeah. is what we love being under threat, what is anger as anger it relates is, to what we love? Yeah, anger is something I love has been unjustly treated. Anger is the fundamentally most most basically moral emotion that says something wrong has happened. And I care about the fact that it was wrong. I care about the object of the wrong. Joy is something I love and care about has succeeded or grown or been blessed or is going well and great. Contentment is the things that I care about. It is, it is well with them. It's, it's contentment is probably a flavor of joy. Um, sadness is something that I love or care about has been broken or lost and I no longer am going to be able to enjoy the way I used to. I had an experience, and now it's no longer there. I had a dream, even, of what things could be, and now the death of that dream and the way things could be, I, there was a joy I felt pro prospectively looking forward. Um, so, I, I mean, you can literally take any emotion mm. you want, and it's actually helpful to think through what what is that. What you'll find is there's probably five, six, seven main one. Ca big bigger categories and then and then the english language has hundreds and hundreds mm -hmm. of smaller trails that you can go down you know bitterness is a form of anger and and so on and so forth god is a genius storyteller and the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture in christianity today's new show holy curiosity with me cat armstrong we explore storied connections threaded throughout scripture from the old testament to the new our first mini-series, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So I'm curious, in your practice, uh, just because you do, you know, encounter this as you're counseling, it, when you walk people through their emotions, do is it that, you know, Kimberly would end up having three or four things that it seems usually end up being the things that I love and are threatened or unjustly treated or, you know, um, or is it, you know, it, it changes throughout time. Does that make sense where it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, many of my, I'm just using me so that I'm not throwing anybody else under the bus. I've got my own <laughs> issues. Um, like the, the issues that I face are largely because of these things that I love. Um, is that kind of how you walk them through it in a counseling way, as far as like 
how again, I mean, really like a Christian approach to emotions. Like this is a really mm-hmm. distinct way, especially when we're talking about like trying to orient that love toward God. Yeah. Well, I'll start by saying my experience is overwhelmingly in the counseling room with Christians, not not exclusively, but vastly more. People who show up to Christian counseling yeah. usually are doing so <laughs> yeah. because they have some sort of value for Christian whatever, um, or their mom dragged them there. That's usually why you end up seeing atheists. <laughs> um, but uh, so so the short answer is um, I, I, I speak from, you know, from a, a, a lopsided experience, but I would bet that what I'm about to say applies even outside of, of a church context. Most people come in and however much they bluster and put on a good front outside the counseling room, people tend to feel quite guilty about their emotions. They feel like they are at fault. They feel like they are the problem. And I think that's pretty true, secular or Christian. Might have different flavors and different reasons that are even driving it. But so all that to say, I would usually start not with, um, oh, let's find these problematic loves in you so that we can, you know, reorient you to a better way to live. Usually where I'm starting is actually there is something legitimate happening in, in these emotions actually it's actually the fact that you love your child that's a good thing hmm. we're glad that you care about your kid now has that gotten ugly and out of whack do you love your child um and do you love that they would have a good reputation too much you know are you so worried about their future and you will be devastated if they end up poor but deeply loving the Lord because you have a vision for their future that only includes wealth and success and material ways and blah, blah, Sure. You know, they're all, it goes ugly quickly with any emotions. Uh, we're sinners. We're, we're, we're broken people. But I will usually start with the good in most situations. So, so as a counselor speaking to other people, mm-hmm. where I'm tending to come in is you actually are already feeling guilty and like you're the source of the problem in a way that's lost track of the fact that you were made to care about other people. You were made to want things to be right and successful and and flourish. Now, having said that, will it come down to, hey, there's probably a few things that I'm loving that are not in a great order here? Yeah, that's very frequent. And um, usually it'll it'll come down not, not so much to like, oh, you shouldn't be loving that, but it'll be coming down to let's think about all the different values and loves that are all at play in this situation. And can we see where this one has just gotten really distorted? This one has mm. taken over in a way it shouldn't have. So usually it's going to be more a distortion, a, a misprioritizing of love and worship rather than, than something fundamental. You know, it, you're afraid for your kids. Well, you should love them. You should be concerned about things that are dangerous to them. But now it's leading you to this controllingness, and you are trusting yourself with them rather than the Lord with them. You are trying to fit them into this overly narrow view of what health and good should be. And I guess the last thing I'll say is I'm actually probably more attuned to the fact that on any given minute of any given day, there are a thousand things you love and care about that are all factoring into how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um how did your sports team do last week? Do you even care about sports? Uh, how's your mom? What did you have for breakfast? Did you sleep well? How are you feeling about that meeting tomorrow? And that's those are more the backgroundy things. Forget like, okay, I have this conflict with my friend and it's been really hard lately. But I also, it's been really sweet in my marriage recently. And I've been really thankful for that. And our church is really growing, although it's now coming with more responsibility and I'm feeling stressed by that. So it's like, you care about all those things. And mm-hmm. all of that is mixing itself in your paint bucket of swirling <laughs> different colors. Um, when we say, oh, I feel sad, we didn't. We mean that the sad thing, the love and loss, is the thing that's most prominent for me right now. But there's still a hundred other things pouring into the bucket. And on most days, you don't 
feel anything that's like, this is the only one thing I'm feeling. It's, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a huge mixing bucket. And I say like, oh yeah, I'm doing okay. That's usually what it means when you say I'm doing okay. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I, I appreciate the distinction that you made between wrong loves, because I think at least even when I'm hearing you and presumably others who might listen and be familiar with, um, you know, the language of affection, you know, and affections like in theology and that kind of thing. I, I think we hear that and we think, oh, it's because our affections are poorly placed. Then um, that's why we're having these bad emotions. But then, but I appreciate the distinction that I think, and correct me <laughs> if I'm understanding, if I verbalize it wrong, but I think the distinction you're making is no, actually, you, there are lots of good affections because God has gifted us with lots of very g- good affection. Like there are many things that we love that are because, like you said, like because God Himself lo- loves those things. And so it's not even right to beat up on ourselves for having the feelings or that kind of thing because we just, you know, we're, I'm not having peace because I'm not surrendering my, you know, I don't fully love God enough. You know, I think that those are really helpful distinctions. Is that, is that a fair distinction? What's your take on the affections as it relates to emotion? Yeah. Um, two, two very short answers to that. Number one, yes, that's a good way to think okay, about good. it. <laughs> uh, lo- Pass that it. test. And, 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 what, and what you're saying is there's, there's a right way to think about the object of my affection and about, so there's no good affections that you should have towards pornography. Pornography mm-hmm. right. as an object straight up is bad, problematic, wrong, but the broader category of sexuality and sex, like God made sex and that's a good thing. And I'm glad for that. And we should, there's a right way to feel. So if you take sex as the object, well, there's, we should be excited and glad for the good of that in marriage. And we should be grieved by that happening outside of marriage, even if it's pleasurable. Uh, and so whether that's pornography or fornication of mm-hmm. some other sort or whatever. Um, so the object matters. And, and it's just sort of, well, what exact, ob- what do you mean by the object is often going to have to be the nuanced conversation. But, but the short answer is, yeah, you're thinking about it exactly right. God gave us affections and we have some sort of right feeling. We, we have some sort of feeling towards everything around us. And that's right and good. We are feeling beings. We, we are meant to have an evaluation, a response to the world. If you see a beautiful sunrise and you have no reaction to it whatsoever, that that's terrible. That's sad. That that's a, that's a loss. Um, and if you see somebody be shot uh, and robbed and you have no emotion toward that, that's a terrible thing. That's a lot. That's not how humans were made to function. And it's actually a, a, a problem. Um, the answer, the second half of the answer, and this uh, really could take us down a rabbit hole, so we probably shouldn't, but uh, the language has evolved. Um, hmm. So 300 you know, especially, you know, take, I don't know, Jonathan Edwards mm-hmm. as your as your uh, data point, if you want, treatise on the religious affections. In the olden days, it was affections and passions were two different words describing territory that is now entirely covered by emotions. Hmm. So we'll still talk about affections, but now when we use the word affections, it would actually be a subset underneath emotions, the way we tend to, in common usage, use the word emotions. Um, and, and passions now is a purely good thing, then it was a pure Purely bad thing. So the word passions has, has really gotten a great facelift for itself. Um, <laughs> but so without getting into the distinction between passions and affections of old, I would say emotions now is a is a broader word in a way that I'm actually okay with, because mm-hmm. I think it nicely captures we have some kind of reaction to everything. The question is, are we loving it the way God loves it? 
hating it the way God hates it, or are we actually moving the opposite direction from the Lord? Mm. So I don't know if this takes us in a different direction, if it just keeps going, but I just want to bring in this because you mentioned it in your your book. Um, How do we go about uh, nourishing then good emotions and then starving not so good emotions? (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, I think the, the first implication of everything I'm saying is that we need to be slow to even think through what is a good or a bad deal okay. here. And I, and mm-hmm. I would say, um, the, I really like the phrase engaging emotions rather than squashing or embracing or even managing. Um, I think engaging comes with it. It comes with more of an honest question. What am I going to find here? And as image bearers of God, uh, and as broken, fallen sinners, we would expect to find a mixed bag. So in any emotion, we're probably going to find some things that are right, good loves that are pointed the right direction and some bad loves that are pointed the wrong direction. And um, I, so I, I actually tend to think in terms of nurturing and starving where emotions are concerned, I, I'm, I'm actually more oriented at this point towards nourishing good loves and starving bad loves rather okay. than nourishing good emotions and starving bad emotions. Okay. The implication for emotions is immediate. Uh, well, I shouldn't say, I mean, it, it happens over time. But but in other words, you can't nourish a good love without that having some impact on your emotions. You can't starve a bad love without that having some impact on your emotions. But um, if you're feeling anxious about your child, probably you need to be nurturing a love for them that points you more towards praying for them and trusting them to the Lord encouraging them, uh, being less of a control freak with them, or running less quickly to Netflix to numb the fact that you're anxious mm-hmm. about them. Um, and and in terms of starving, it, you know, it's going to have to be a, okay, I need to, um, I need to not let myself just cycle on this. When I'm talking to my friends, and for the 17th time, I've brought up this thing I'm feeling anxious about with my kids, maybe I say, hey, guys, will you, when you hear me do the thing that I always do, where I get going about <laughs> my daughter, like, well, you just sort of like hold up your hand and be like, you're doing it because I just, I need the check. I need the help to mm-hmm. be reminded. Okay, that's right. Yep. Thank you. My child is in the Lord's hands. So uh, anxiety about your child, anger about your work situation, sadness about loss. It's it's going to give you all kinds of opportunity to actually nourish right loves and to starve bad loves. I give a bunch of examples in the book about, you know, different ways to to think about that. And, you know, there's a there's a thousand of them. Uh, the, the Probably the single most common one that I find myself talking about in terms of starving is just um, uh, stewing in your head and venting with your mouth mm. and recognizing those are bad things. Uh, stewing is when I just take the problem to myself and I don't cast my anxiety or my care or my heart to the Lord. Venting is when I spew it at you and I try to blow out the steam uh, and deal with it by just talking to you about it, which tends to just reinforce the bad loves in an unhelpful way. So the article did sort of make it into the book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it it gets to, I I think what you're saying, it even kind of brings it all the way back around to the, the muscle that you were talking about, you know, and starving the muscle is like, I refuse to work that out that, you know, I refuse to do curls. <laughs> and, uh, right, you know, right. whatever this is, like, I know that stays and I'm going to go, you know, nourish it this way. Right. That's fascinating. And, and all I mean, just thinking about all the 
I mean, the, the scripture is so full of tangible, physiological, taste, touch, see, smell, hear kinds of things to strengthen our faith. Baptism, communion, altars on which sacrifices are laid and burned, and you can hear the crackle of the fat as it burns, and you can smell the cooking of the meat, and you sprinkle the blood, and you see it. I mean, you know, it's, it's vivid stuff reminding you of the power of atonement, reminding you of the problem of sin and the fact that your sin has been consumed. Um, you know, Jesus on the cross, this is my body and my blood given for you. Every time we partake of the elements, we're tasting and seeing and feeling that there is a hope that reaches to the very most core tangible depths of who we are. So I'm all about, especially in, in hard situations, is there any sort of physiological, tangible see it, taste it, hear it, feel it, do it kind of experience that I can intentionally participate in that helps me remember what is true, that reinforces to me what is true, whether that's nourishing, whether that's starving, especially if it's nourishing. Um, yeah, you know, let's let's participate. Let's do it. Let's lean into the fact that we have bodies and that's where our emotions happen, overflowing from our hearts. Let's let our bodies help us to know in a very physiological, tactile way What's true? So this is going to have to be the last question. And I hope that it's just kind of a rando one that you're like, that's a ridiculous question. <laughs> and it doesn't take us too long. I like it already. Too long. Um, so there might be a naysayer to what you just said that would say. Oh, impossible. Everyone's that, <laughs> totally convinced by now, I mean, right? you are very eloquent. So oh, I don't, thanks, I mean, thanks. it's yeah, yeah, this yeah. is a hypothetical situation. I've but, spent a lot of time with the naysayers. Yeah. <laughs> What would you do with someone who says, well, that's just kind of brainwashing yourself? You mean all the nourishing stuff? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm only going to put myself in situations that like help me like physically taste and see it and keep myself there, that kind of thing. It, what what would you say to that? Yeah. I'd, I mean, I'd probably start by saying, uh, yeah, that's a huge danger. That's absolutely a wise thing to be alert to. And it's very easy. And in fact, we all do it mm -hmm. all the time. So I'd, I'd actually, my first instinct is to flip the tables and say, if you're worried about brainwashing, you are alert to something important. Every time, let me put it, let me, let me make it this blunt. Every time that you're just feeling antsy about something at work or at home or a relationship and you, and you're, and you're starting to spin inside and you turn on a show or you pull out your phone and start scrolling, or you even just try to go send one more email and get one more thing done in a way that just ignores the problem and shoves it aside, rather than running with it to the Lord and saying, Lord, this is where I'm hurting. This is what I'm worried about. Let me let me talk to you about my concern. You are brainwashing yourself. You are teaching yourself that what's most important is how I feel. It's more important than dealing with the issue. You're teaching yourself that uh, Netflix is my shepherd. Mm. I shall not be in want. Pinterest <laughs> makes me lie down in green pastures mm -hmm. beside still waters. Um, Facebook restores my soul. You know, Instagram lays out a table for me. Like, right? That that is brainwashing, and it's really, really common. And we all are tempted by that. I'm picking on you know technological things, but it doesn't have to be technology. It can be anything. The things we turn to rather than the good shepherd when we should be turning with those things to the good shepherd, right? It's fine to enjoy Netflix and Facebook and Instagram um, and and do so in a way that's worshipful and servant-hearted and thankful for the chance to be connected to people and like, oh, that's a great recipe. I can do that for dinner in half the time. Wonderful. <laughs> Glad for that. Worship. Um, but yeah, brainwashing is happening constantly. You mm -hmm. are doing it to yourself way, way, way more than you realize. What I'm talking about here is saying almost the, the, the answer is almost 
where are the most dangerous places that I am already brainwashing myself? I'm already living as if something that is true isn't true, Hmm. as if I don't have a good shepherd, as if the Lord can't be trusted to handle my problems, as if avoiding conflict in relationship is actually more loving than candidly moving with courage in for the good of the relationship. Um, Every time I'm doing that, I'm brainwashing myself, Lord, will you help me? courageously to lean in to what is actually true, to actually see where my emotions are pointing to things I love and care about, that I should be, and I should be moving toward them, and actually I can trust you with what's hard about it. And I can, you know, the anger is actually right, that this is unjust. Now I need to handle that in a godly, constructive, courageous, good-for-the-other-person way, rather than a selfish, fearful, attacking, controlling, blame-shifting kind of way, etc. So I love that question. That's actually the right thing to be alert to. Um, it presupposes that we're mostly just sort of neutrally walking around mm-hmm. doing things in a logical fashion and occasionally might be brainwashing ourselves by this avoid. I'm, I'm talking about the opposite in the end. And that's why you emphasize the word engaging the emotion yes. rather than yes. running away. <laughs> right. so. F- figure out. So, so we, we go through a whole four step process of like you've got to identify, you've got to examine, then you've got to evaluate, and then you've got to act. By the time you're getting to action, what do I actually do, nourish or starve? You've really thought, what am I feeling? What is going on in this? What am I loving? What am I caring about? Why why is it happening in this circumstance? Let's evaluate. What about this mm-hmm. is good? What about this is bad? Now you're making a much more wise and discerning approach to, well, let's let's get let's start you know, attacking the bad stuff. And let's start really amplifying the volume on the good stuff. But you can't just jump to the starve or the nourish because you have to do the evaluation first. No, that's really there helpful. You go. Which is what all of us do instinctively. Exactly. I hate feeling anxious, so I'm going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> I like feeling I like feeling angry because it's better than feeling helpless. You know, yeah. uh, we, we instinctively just take the, the things we like and push them and take the things we don't like and get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Well, we are going to have to stop because yeah. we're over time. But Alistair, it's so been good. so wonderful. Yes. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you this so is awesome. Here. Well, yeah. good, good. We hope you enjoyed it. And thank you, Melissa, for joining thank us you, and being a yes. wonderful co-host. <laughs> Thanks. And we also want to thank those of you who are listening. Um, we never want to forget you all. We just uh, would ask you that you would join us next time when we discuss issues of God and culture. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.